And as we continue to worship, let us turn to our prayer petition and intercession. Bonner in our bulletins and Mike. Mike? If I can get Mike to come forward. You know, he's just... We got three Sundays in a row we got on this guy here. What? Yes. On behalf of um, all of it, I picked up a, a combination for you and your wife. It's all of it gift. I tried to get purple, but I thought you might appreciate green. And the hat is for you, and the scarf is for your wife. Oh, thank you, sir. And you can either wear it during worship or out in the cold or whatever. It's, especially um, the cold. Especially the cold. Amen. Thank you, sir. You are welcome. Would you join me in our prayer petition and intercession today? We pray that in this season of Lent, we learn from his suffering, identify with his passion, stay with him through the night of prayer, until we discern your will. Make sense of suffering and find peace in your presence. Dear Lord, as we come this this day, as we had prepared for a a baptism, baptism of one of the members of our Legion Riders and and relative of Kathy's, we realize just in the last few hours the the changes that have occurred in, in light of the dangers that the spread of the coronavirus presents to our world and in light of President Donald Trump's declaration of Sunday. Sunday is a national day of prayer. We at all of it wish to encourage those by way of television and those by way of radio, 980 AM, and other congregations to join in this solemn moment to pray for our nation, to pray for our world and its leaders. As I've contacted bishops from Asia and Europe and let them know that if the general conference continues, which is questionable in May when delegates, clergy, bishops from around the United States and world, from the world. And I have made a request for a librarian bishop to share this pulpit, a born-again, spirit-filled, scriptural believing Bishop. And throughout Scripture, such moments have evoked a response of prayer from God's people. I remember in Numbers chapter 21, verses 7 through 9, Israel responded with a prayer to the deadly, the deadly snake bites. In Exodus, when Pharaoh, with all his resistance, Pharaoh was resistant to God's word, to let Israel go out of Egypt, responded to the plagues plagues by beseeching Moses to intercede for him and for Egypt. And regardless of our political views by way of radio and television and here at all of it, United Methodist Church in Robbinsdale, our president's call to a national day of prayer is the right and the scriptural response to this moment of great distress. The power of collective prayer is, is how the things will be stopped the demonic things stopped in its path. We pray, O oh Lord, for wisdom. We pray for our leaders, as 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 
says pray that God gives wisdom and understanding to our governmental and our medical leaders to respond effectively to the changing times and to this virus. We pray for spiritual leaders to step up and effectively help the people walk through the times of otherwise great fear and anxiety. For the people, according to Psalm 91, pray that as a nation and throughout the world, people will find refuge in the Lord our God, for it is in the Lord our God who delivers from this deadly, deadly plague. Pray against the spirit of fear and terror that people will not be afraid of the pandemic that stalks in darkness, but will turn their eyes to the Lord instead. We pray that the people will make the Lord their God and their refuge, even the most high, the most high, their dwelling place. And according to Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, we pray for humility. We pray for humility and spiritual responsiveness to, this, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we believe this, this moment of vulnerability pre, pre, presents our world with a unique opportunity for spiritual reflection and, and humble response to the invitation of Christ. And according to Exodus chapter 9, verses 19 through 21, we see, we see the plagues of Egypt evoked two opposing responses from Pharaoh's officials. Those who in humility follow the Lord's direction and those who in defiance continue to try to broker a deal within their own ranks and were resistant to the Lord. We pray that humility, humility is is the hallmark and the whole mark of our responses as a people and a nation and a world. And, and as we think of Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8, we pray, Father, that your peace and your presence, we pray against this pandemic of, of anxiety across our nation, that this, of course, precedes the coronavirus and the pandemic, that it is now in several notches higher. We pray that in everything our people will find a sense to tap into the peace that God provides, that wonderful counselor, that mighty God, that everlasting Father, that Prince of Peace that we just celebrated here just a few months ago, his birth. We pray against the fake news and against the spirit of misinformation and deception that takes advantage of times like this. We pray instead that people will focus on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely, a, a good report and is excellent. And we thank you, O Lord, for, for heeding this call. We come against any spiritual force, demonic, in the name of Jesus Christ, that body that was broken, that blood that was shed. By his blood, we claim victory. Just in that great exodus, blood was put over the doorposts of Israelites, Jews, and, and the angel of death passed. We, we pray that the blood of Christ would be over our homes and our lives and our loved ones. We come not in speculation or manipulation or magic, but we come in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, according to Isaiah 
53, his body was broken, his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins and the power that endued within us is the Holy Spirit. As you taught us to pray in your name, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. At this time, I'd like to call on Mike. Mike, if you would come. As Mike comes, those by way of television this morning, um, we had planned a baptism. We prepared the bulletin. Everything was done, and the family kind of um, had suggested that they were concerned about not only their baby, but the concerned more so about their parents and their grandparents that wanted to attend. So we'll be having that baptism and those here at all of it, United Methodist Church will be developing another bulletin and using a lot of the scripture and our prayers for that occasion. Thank you. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. 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 Why should we pray? God is not a magic genie that gives us everything we ask for. Consider Daniel chapter 9, verse 18. That is a good reason to pray. It says, we do not ask because we deserve help, but we ask because you are merciful. God is compassionate, kind, and loving. He's not just about our wants, he supplies our needs consistently. Because love and compassion are his very nature, nothing should ever prevent us from making God number one priority in our lives. Praise and prayer are the only physical connections we have with God here on earth. But God has many ways to speak to us. I can't even number them. How would you talk to us? There's a big gap, a large gap, between us and God. We cannot get there. We cannot talk to him. We cannot ask him for anything. We cannot be in his presence. We cannot even yell at the top of the lungs half near us. Except for one thing. Christ. He is in that gap. And he serves as a mediator between us and God. When we talk to, when we talk to Jesus, we are talking to God. The only true prayer that is answered consistently in our lives is when we earnestly ask for and desire to do the very will of God. Because God's favor always follows his will. Always. Pray and be thankful for everything in your life. This includes all your possessions, all your relationships, we should give thanks to God for everything that we have, have, 
or, or even yet to give yet. That's faith. When you see it before we get it, that's called faith. But without God first creating us and everything on this earth, there's nothing. Consider that. There's no us and there's no this. Nothing would be there without the creativity and blessing of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Creator Jesus. When should we pray? When? You know what? Always. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, that we should be in continuous prayer with thankfulness for all God has done and given to us. In Ephesians 3, Paul prays that you may be able to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge. What he does, what he is, we can't even wrap around our minds. I, I can't. I, I struggle with that, thinking about that. How great he is, how merciful he is, how much love he has in his. That's where faith comes in. Prayer ultimately builds our relationship and intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. With our improving intimate relationship, we're better prepared and prepare ourselves to resist the ever-present temptation. It's around us every day, just about every minute. Your thoughts wander and you might think of her doing something unholy and sinful. And that's what prayer does. Lessons that burden on us. Sin is a burden. It's not something to be dismissed. It's something on our backs. It's with us all the time. All the more reason to pray and be thankful that that sin is relieved from us. When, our, when it comes to our relationship and your relationship with God, you can never be too close, ever. You can never be too close to you. And you can never be too merciful or sweet either. We shall always be praying for our nation, our world, not forgetting our neighbors. We shall always be loved and be praying for these without ceasing. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I've been really blessed, you know. I think we've all, if we can kind of count our blessings, we've been blessed. I mean, you know, as a nation, we've been blessed. Um, for 27 plus years, I was blessed. I was not only the, considered the chaplain, but I wrote various directives on um, um, NBC, um, nuclear biological and chemical warfare, and I, would, I traveled with some of the um, commanders of the base, um, General Tim Consulter, and, and we would talk, and we've talked many times since, and we had certain structures in mind, you know, if, if such situations like this would, would occur. And they were Christians, they were Christian men and women that I, that I worked with, and I, I, 
I think they considered me not kind of a rabbit's foot, you know, of protection around them, but they considered me just a real prayer warrior. And I just really appreciate that this Sunday is being set aside as a Sunday of national prayer, national prayer. And as we remember the essence of what Jesus said, he, he, he spoke so much about prayer. And I'm going to be um, utilizing his scripture and his, his um, thoughts and ideas today because rather than talking about fear, I want to talk about faith. As Christians, we need to talk more about, um, about faith. And in part of the, the scripture that um, I really like about Jesus is that Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, Jesus went out. Jesus went out and he departed into a solitary place. And there he prayed. And I kind of like to visualize the scripture. Jesus getting up early in the morning, going out to a solitary pray place and praying. Now, if we would be followers, those by way of television and those by way of radio today, if we would be followers of Jesus Christ, we must follow Jesus regularly to the secret time of private prayer, public prayer, communion with God. And repeatedly in the scriptures, it tells us that Jesus went apart. He went apart away from the crowd to be alone with God. And I, I believe that Jesus is human and divine as he was. He, he went apart so he wouldn't come apart. And you and I, we need to go apart with God so we won't come apart with the world. As we see the things going on in the world and as we see things um, falling apart, it's really, as a Christian perspective, we see it coming together. We see it coming together. We see, come Lord Jesus. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says, and he came to, and it came to pass in those days when he went up into a mountain to pray and he continued all night, all night in prayer to God. And then in Matthew chapter 14, 23, and when he had sent the multitudes away, Jesus went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was done, he was there alone. Luke chapter 22, verse 41 says, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and and he kneeled down. It says he kneeled down and prayed. How long has, has it been since you knelt down in prayer, maybe by your bed or by your sofa or by your couch, you knelt down in prayer? Now, if our Lord, if our Lord Jesus Christ found it both necessary and profitable, and if you find prayer is both necessary and profitable, and if Jesus entered into this time of necessity and profitability to enter the secret place of prayer, it would seem absolutely essential that we do also. His followers would not only need to follow his example, but we'd want to imitate his actions. Some of the first churches I served, they, there was always somebody and a number of people that would approach me in the morning and say, Pastor, we're just going to go and 
in one of the closets here and we're going to just pray for you. We're going to pray for you. I'm reminded of one time when I was at a Billy Graham conference out in Anaheim, California. My, my wife and my children and my mother attended and, and I heard Billy Graham. He, Billy Graham said that, that he'd, he'd, in his earlier part of his ministry, whenever he prayed at, at crusades and that, he'd have at least 70 people in the basement, at least 70 people praying in the basement during the crusade. And that doesn't consider all of the prayer that went into the crusade. He said basic crusades were only about 3% of himself. And the other 97% were in preparation and crusade publication and advertisement. And if our Lord found it necessary and profitable to enter the secret place of prayer, it, it would seem absolutely essential that we, his followers, would not only need to follow his example, but we would want to initiate, initiate that corresponding action, his action. I've had many people during my ministry that said, I think, Pastor, it's enough to just talk the talk. I don't need to walk the walk. And I'd say, what, what do you mean by that? And they would say, well, if I just talk the talk about Jesus, I don't necessarily need to walk the walk. I don't need to necessarily invite people to Christ or invite people to church. And I said, no, you're only, going, you're only getting half the wing of the bird. Can you imagine bird? Most birds I, I've seen that have crashed into a window, and we have a number of birds that crash into our windows that seem at home, and they kind of limp around on one wing. And prayer is much like our witnessing and our, our technical operation, that if we just talk to talk, but don't walk to walk, if we just say we're a Christian and tell others we're a Christian, but without the invitation. That's the second half of discipleship. It's not only talking the talk, but walking the walk and invitation to Christ, invitation to the church. Jesus sought the secret place in prayer. According to Luke chapter 3, 21, Jesus prayed during his baptism. And I was going to kind of center and focus my message on this baptism that we're about to enter into in our worship service. Well, evidently to Jesus, prayer was more, was more of a dialogue than a monologue. Is your prayer life with Jesus just a dialogue? Or just a monologue, you know, just one way? Or is it a dialogue? Is it an exchange between God and yourself? Many people are evidentially, you know, and just they talk the talk, but they really don't walk the walk. I mentioned, I was, I, periodically I get some time and when I'm doing things I'll, I'll, pay, I'll, I'll play my background, my background prayers and listen to some of the earlier, earlier videos of our worship service from like 23 years ago and I, I at that time, man, I just spoke so, so much faster than I speak now. And I had to listen so carefully, but I remember me saying many times, even 23 years ago, that, that at that time, at that time, the average United Methodist 
This is the average United Methodist that says they're a Christian. The average United Methodist during their lifetime would invite a person to church every 16 years. Once every 16 years. How do you compare with the average Christian? Have you invited someone to church in the last 16 years? And I recently, um, Harris report and some of those who do statistical surveys for Gallup have said that it's, it's, it's nearing one out of every 20 years a person invites, this, these are evangelical churches, not to say anything about the, those liberal churches that, you know, they may just sit six or 10 feet, that, you know, that the COVID virus, coronavirus, I think, came to some of these churches many years ago because they don't want to shake hands and they don't want to sit next to anybody and they're isolationless. But what is your invitation index, your invitation to Christ and inviting people to church? Jesus prayed, it says, during his own baptism when he was 30 years old, that developed his ministry into the world at 30 years old when he was baptized by John the Baptist. And evidently to Jesus, prayer was more of a dialogue with, with God than a monologue in which he only expressed his feelings. His, as Jesus expressed his own personal wishes, we read repeatedly of communication taking place while Jesus was in prayer, according to Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 22, and Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 31. And then I said earlier, Jesus went apart for prayer when a man wanted him to set up an earthly kingdom rather than a spiritual kingdom in Matthew chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. Evidently, Jesus needed some divine strength and, and wisdom and assistance during a difficult time in his ministry. I often talk to retired ministers and, and I've been called at the bedside of many, many dying people and many dying clergy. And, and one thing stands out is when I ask them, if you had life to live over again, what would you do? And it's similar to the statement that Billy Graham said before his death, I would, I would pray twice as much as I would talk. Many of them referred to the fact that we're given two ears to hear and just one mouth to speak. How about your life? How does that compare with some of the godly evangelical Christians that have preceded us in the departure from this life into the next? Should we be praying more and talking less? Jesus went apart for prayer when this person wanted him to set up an earthly kingdom rather than a, a spiritual kingdom in Matthew chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. And then Jesus went to the secret place of prayer when he faced many major decisions. Jesus spent an entire night in prayer before making, before making the choice of those who would constitute his disciples and his apostles. A whole night in prayer in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 13. 
And then again, from the loneliness of the cross, the Savior prayed that his crucifiers, can you imagine this? He prayed from from the cross. He prayed for his crucifiers that they might be forgiven in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. And although there were many in the vicinity in this time, he had entered the sanctuary of God's presence in prayer to intercede for those who had nailed him, nailed him to the cross. And then shortly after praying this prayer for his crucifiers, crucifiers, Jesus was, was to pray a prayer of committal for his own soul. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Luke chapter 23, verse 46. Jesus encourages us to find the secret place for prayer. I remember when I was um, going to college and about the only thing that my parents could provide for me. And I, um, it's almost like they um, blackmailed me because I was a, a congressman, Oden Lang, and had appointed me to one of the academies. I chose West Point. And my parents kind of bribed me in saying that they would help support me to go to the university because I had received a university scholarship to play football at the time. And they, they said they would provide me with a gallon of milk every week. And I stretched out that gallon of milk the entire week. Sometimes it got a little raw because it wasn't pasteurized. Straight from the the Holstein. Jesus encourages us to find this secret place for prayer. um, For my housing, we lived at the halfway house and it's still known. It wasn't that it was a halfway house even before it was a, you know, the world talked about the halfway house as kind of a treatment center or something, but we we'd named this like some 50 years ago. And we not only utilized many of the bedrooms in the house, but we utilized many of the closets. And I was assigned one of the closets on the first floor. This is a two-story two half house. And the closet was where I had this small little mattress, you know, and I, I had this elevated um, shelves for all my books and everything. And, you know, I, I think, I really believe, and I can honestly tell you that I got the best sleep in that small closet. Probably a lot better than those who had their bunk beds in some of the um, small little, small little house that occupied some 10 individuals some football players. The largest room was occupied by Dr. Um, Gene Nofnagel. It was Gene Nofnagel at that time. Now he's at chemist at Columbia University. I'm sure his bedroom is much larger now than then. But from the loneliness of the cross, the Savior prayed that his crucifiers might be forgiven. And, And then Jesus encourages us to find the secret place to prayer, for prayer. I can remember having a flashlight and kind of reading the scriptures, you know, in the, my little closet. Matthew chapter six, six says, but thou when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Jesus assumed he didn't command us 
but he assumed. There's a big differential meaning in assumption and commandment. Many of you have experienced marriage and you can kind of assume what your partner may want and you operate in assumption rather than commandment. Jesus assumed that the children of God would want to pray, would want to pray. The words of this verse are not phrased, phraseology to suggest a command. They are an expression of an assumption. Jesus assumed that we would be humble and we would be hungry, hungry for fellowship and communication with our Heavenly Father. Jesus assumed that our desire for victory over sin and temptation and Satan would mo motivate us to seek the, the presence and the power of our God. Jesus assumed that our need for wisdom and grace to help in every time of need would, would pull us again and again into that throne room of God and our Heavenly Father. That gravitational pull would be there to pull us in the right direction in spite of our wants and what we thought were the pressures of, of a direction that the world would suggest. Jesus suggested that we enter the closet and we close the door. Did you as a child, you ever play hide and go seek? And did you ever as a child take this verse very literally? Did you find it difficult to get in the closet? Maybe in the first place? It's a natural tendency for children not to feel comfortable with darkness. But after entering the closet, did you find it difficult maybe to close the door? And if so, your childhood literal interpretation of this verse was maybe not as far from the truth which Jesus was seeking to impart to you and I as we might think. It's difficult to withdraw completely into a very private secret place where you can enter into an unhindered experience of communion with God? It always has been. It always will be. I had a member in my congregation once who told her children that she was in prayer whenever she took her apron and she threw it over her head. And the children, whenever they seen mom with the apron over the head, they knew that she was praying for something. That was her private time of prayer. She'd sit down wherever it was and, and we would just throw that apron over her head and she was in prayer for something the children realized. But what a testimony. It's very difficult to close the door and to shut her out everything that would distract one's concentration on God. Getting the door closed refers to the removal of all our attitudes. All the attitudes, all the actions that might distract us, all those contradictory things that are not of the will of God, to the will of God and to confessing and forsaking all sins that, that are contrary to the will of God. Now, for some of us, it has, it's been a long time when, since we've had an experience of private place of prayer. I had one congregation earlier in my ministry that they, they wanted me to take one full day off, one full day off a week, just to go and pray. That was in, including the other two days that they 
wanted me to take off for my family and myself. One full day was taken off for prayer, and they would provide me with prayers. And I, I would say, well, that doesn't exclude you from praying for the needs. As long as you give me that, me that charge, it doesn't exclude you. In that place of prayer in which God was very, very, very near, in which the divine will was made known and the divine wisdom was bestowed and the divine power was imparted. The lack of these good gifts from the hand of our Heavenly Father, I, I really believe. I really believe that the lack of these good gifts from the hand of our Heavenly Father explains our ineffectiveness as a modern-day Christian church. Father, this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed and those by way of television and radio this morning, we need to ask ourselves this question. It shouldn't be only a, a certain day designated as a National Day of Prayer, but do we, we need to ask ourselves, do we have a, a secret place of prayer? These trials and tribulations that we're going through today may, may be more than one day. But have we erected an altar where we can regularly seek to enter into communion with our Heavenly Father? One does not have to visit a mountaintop or a deep gorge or a primeval forest to, to find a secret place for prayer. That, that the primary requisite is to have a deep desire for such a place and, and a determination to follow the example and the suggestion of Jesus as found in the words of our text. Your private place, with every head bowed and every eye closed, those by way of radio and television, your private place of secret prayer can be any place where with your spirit you seek to enter into the throne room of the Heavenly Father. It could be the bedroom, the living room, the basement, or the attic. It could be somewhere in a mighty cathedral or an insignificant chapel. It can be in the very center of a large congregation of worshipers on Sunday morning. If if we will but bring our souls, bring our souls into tune with God's will and, and listen with listening ears and hearing ears, to look with seeing eyes and to respond with a believing heart and actions and attitude. Teach me to pray, O oh Lord. And in closing, it's, it's interesting to note that, the, that following a time spent in prayer, one of the Disciples requested the Lord that he, he teach them to pray as John the Baptist had taught his disciples to pray. And Jesus replied to their request by giving us in them this model prayer, oftentimes called the Lord's Prayer. But in reality, it's a pattern for the disciples and, and Christians to follow as they offer their prayers. Ere we left our beds or our rooms this morning, did we think to pray? In the name of Jesus, our Savior, did we, did we sue, sue for a loving favor as a shield today? Lord, according to Luke chapter 11, 1, teach me to pray, Lord, teach me to pray. Romans chapter 12, 1, that we are to long to know thy will and thy way. According to Philippians 4, 13, oh God, give us power, power in prayer. Romans chapter 7, 25, renew our weakened wills, O Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 27, we, we need to subdue our sinful nature. 
Acts chapter 1, 8 says, Fill me just now with power anew. And as a united expression of our need and assurance that our request is in harmony with the will of God for us, let us desire every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you repeat these words? Dear Jesus, forgive our sins, our neglect, in prayer, come into our hearts and lives. Renew our prayer life. Teach us how to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this morning, um, it's been suggested that we um, leave like the offering plates at the, probably the front of the church rather than passing the altar, passing the offering plates. So I'm going to instruct the ushers if they could just leave the offering plates at the front of the church. And sometime during standing on the promises, when we're singing, if you just all kind of just make your way to the center aisle and just come and drop your offering in the offering plates and in return. Um, it's been interesting, you know, we, we do studies that there's more bacteria more threat to illness around faucets than urinaries and in, in, in uh, toilets. So as we um, prepare for our offering today, let us turn to our offertory prayer printed in our bulletins. Would you join me? God of boundless goodness, we have come to this place this day to worship you with our songs, with our words, with our gifts and with our whole hearts. Our reading and heeding of the Psalms reconnect us to worship that springs from a heart full of gratitude. Use these gifts as part of our praise and use them in mission in this world so that even those who feel lost and unloved will know they have a God who loves each of them dearly. With praise and thanksgiving, we lift these prayers. Amen. If the Ushers would place the offering plates on the, the railings at the front of the church. And as we stand and turn to our offertory hymn, Standing in the Promises, if you have a gift this morning, you can bring it front and center and place it in the offering, offering plates. We ask that you come by the center aisle and leave by the side aisle this morning. But let's stand. I don't know how you can really sit when you're singing, standing on the promises. Purple hymnal number 374, and as you stand and as you prepare to come and give your gifts to, to God, um, come by the center aisle and just, if you feel comfortable and you wanted to give, just place it in the offering. This standing on the promises. Purple hymnal number 374, please.
Father God, as the COVID-19 pandemic makes its way around the world, churches can play a key role in preventing the spread of the illness. We can encourage our older people, which seems like most of us are older nowadays. People with underlying health conditions and anyone feeling ill to maybe stay home from worship services and church events. We can practice smart hygiene. We can provide hand sanitizers containing at least 60% alcohol. We can encourage frequent hand washing for at least 20 seconds and frequently sanitize other touch services in our buildings. During our worship service, we can set up offering stations rather than passing the offering plate to encourage people to greet each other without shaking hands or touching one another, maybe elbow touches, crossing arms over our heart, a little bow or a wave are all good alternatives. And as we consider using various means of showing our love and our greetings, help us to use the guidelines from health agencies that are constantly changing as outbreak and response continues to unfold in our particular area. And now we pray that the grace and the peace of God would bless our offerings and blessing our coming and goings and our time of fellowship now. In Jesus' name, amen. Do we have any announcements this morning? Yes. Kathy. Yeah. A um, couple of things right after, well, let's see, 11.15, we're going to have our administrative council meeting in the lounge at the back, the big table. I would encourage as many people who are interested to come. Um, secondly, I'd like to ask that everybody consider bringing a bag of groceries to replenish our food shelf box back there. It's virtually empty right now, and I, I suspect in the coming days we might need to be calling on that. So bring, instead of just a can or two, bring a bag if you can, or whatever you can do. That would be really appreciated. Thank you. Let us close with Shalom to you. Go forth and serve the Lord. Thank you.